live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Good afternoon. Hope you're having a sensational Wednesday, November 2nd, the year 2022. Look outside. Does it get any better? What a beautiful, you know what it is. You know what we call it here. Yep, it's that Chamber of Commerce day that we love. Looks like Saturday could be rain for the big matchup in Tiger Stadium. And for maybe the Cajuns in senior day against Troy. Why senior day when they have another home game? Well, because that home game, the last one of the year, is on a Thursday. Anyway, can the Astros keep the Phillies in the ballpark? Phillies hit three homers in the first two innings, five total in a six. I mean, in a in a just a blowout win. Forcing game four tonight with all the pressure in the world on Houston, who breezed through the playoffs unscathed. Now they've lost two of three. And boy, is that crowd something special in Philly. Was Lance McCullers tipping his pitches? And he got burned by five home runs. He said, no, nah, man, I just got beat, man. Well, we're going to have a former big league picture, part of LSU's national championship team in 2009. He played for the Red Sox, the Rangers, the White Sox. Anthony Renato will join us in just a few minutes and share his expertise. Was McCullers holding his glove in a certain way or his hand in the glove a certain way? Was, was he tipping off his pitches? It sure looked like um, the Phillies knew what he was doing. Bryce Harper called one of his teammates back into the dugout, whispered something in his ear. Next thing you know, bam, gone. So we'll talk to uh, Anthony Renato about that. We're closer and closer and closer to uh, a huge weekend of college football in this area with Alabama coming to town. How about the, how about the playoff first college playoff poll came out with Tennessee. Number one, Ohio state, number two, Georgia, number three, Clemson at number four, Michigan, the Wolverines undefeated at number five, one loss, Alabama at six. And the team that has the most to gripe and argue and, and be ticked off about life. The Horn Frogs of TCU at number seven, Oregon's number eight, USC's number nine, and look who snuck into the top ten with two losses, LSU. Holy cow. I didn't see that coming. Showed you the value of how much that committee put into the LSU's really dominating performance over Ole Miss and how this team has gotten better and better and better. I said it yesterday, and this is a lot of ifs, and it would take a mini miracle. But if LSU wins out, gets to the SEC championship game, and wins that, they'll be a two-loss team in the college football semifinals. I know that's a big, big stretch. 
but it's it's there. They're at number 10. They got a shot. They control the old cliche. They control their destiny. Wow. Who'd have thunk that? Wilson Alexander of The Advocate will join us. LSU about to face that, I think, I don't think there's any question, the best defense that they will have to go up against to this date in season. Um, Alabama's offense, not as good as Tennessee's offense. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, And we'll discuss this Titanic matchup in the sold-out Tiger Stadium with Wilson. Coming up, our number two, Ralph Marlboro will join us as the Saints get ready for the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. And then Michael Huguenin will share his thoughts on the first playoff poll of 2022 and look ahead to the uh, gigantic matchup. Look, Tennessee has everything going in their favor. If Georgia doesn't beat Tennessee, the defending national champion is going to be on the outside looking in, and they're not going to make the playoffs. Um, So we'll talk to Mike Hugan about that. And so a fun, fun show is ready. But without further ado, um, my main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the game studios. I just did all the headlines beforehand, but we're going to still make up for it. Um, He's spinning the tunes, pushing all the buttons. He's on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on in Lake Charles, 1041 FM. We're streaming around the world, 1037thegame.com. 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, pop on that television set because we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. I gave you most of the headlines of the day already, but LSU got some uh, some good news heading into their matchup against Alabama. Both running back John Emery Jr. and wide receiver Jack Besh are a go to play against number six Alabama. Uh, Brian Kelly said that in his um, SEC teleconference call today. Emery missed the last matchup due to an Achilles injury. Besh was out because of a back injury. Uh, left guard Garrett Dellinger uh, has missed the last two games with an injury. He is still day to day. If he is available against Alabama, he's not going back into the starting rotation he, at all, but he'll, he'll fill in to rest somebody if need be. But you want to keep that offensive line intact, intact, without question. Uh, again, LSU faced it. They're bringing back Major Burns. Uh, he's been cleared to practice this week. He's been out since week four with a neck injury. So for the most part, LSU is healthy, healthy, healthy. And um, heck, they're going up against their the toughest uh, defense that they have faced to date in the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, but uh, that's why we play the games, right? That's why we play the games. Eli Ricks has made the starting lineup for Alabama, the former LSU Tiger, just in time to go up against his former team. He's tweeted, it's going to be great to be back in Tiger Stadium. And let me just tell you, it's time for number seven to carpe diem, and that is to seize the moment. It's your time, Kayshawn Booty. You were one of the most productive receivers in the country last season. You got hurt. You get the number seven jersey given annually to the team's most dynamic player, but you haven't been dynamic. 
You haven't been the best player for the Tigers. You haven't been the most productive receiver for the Tigers or, and for that fact, um, not even close around the country. But now is the time for Booty, the junior from New Iberia, Louisiana, to make his mark. He was the favorite going into the season to win the Balitnikov Award before getting hurt midway through last season. And um, now's the time. In his first four games of the season, he had just 11 catches for 97 yards and no touchdown. Then he caught six passes, only 33 yards, but he caught six and scored his only touchdown of the season against Tennessee. Another six-game catching performance against Florida with 150 yard, 15 yards, which nearly doubled his yardage for the season. It was his first 100-yard receiving game since the fifth game of the 21 season against Auburn. Then he had four catches for 43 yards against Ole Miss. Getting a little bit better? Well, this is, this is when he can make his money. Because every scout in the NFL is going to be watching this game. And if he has the type of game that he is capable of, oh, wouldn't it be nice if he could go back to that freshman season in 2020 and relive that game against Ole Miss when he had 14 catches for 308 receiving yards? Oh, by the way, that was good for an SEC record. And three touchdowns. Wouldn't that be something? Something. Um. But that's his time. Now's his opportunity. He has a chance. So we shall see. And we'll delve all into that with uh, with Wilson Alexander coming up. Um, Saints getting ready for their big matchup against the Ravens. The Ravens got a little bit better by getting a pretty good linebacker from Chicago and Roquan Smith at the trade deadline. The Saints didn't do anything. And that's okay. That's okay. It's just, um, boy, that, that, here's hoping that both Tiger Stadium and the Superdome live up to their reputations, period, period. And a shout-out, speaking of that, um, reputations, shout-out to the Tulane Green Wave who um, came into the poll and has um, – has really shocked everybody. And if they had the expanded playoffs like we're talking about, LSU as the number 10 seed would play seven-seeded Alabama, and Tulane, Tulane, the number 12 seed, would play Georgia. So two schools within the borders of the boot, still with an opportunity. That, that's pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. All right, we got a busy, busy show planned for you and yours today. Uh, but first... Um, if you want to be one of the first people to watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever, text PANTHER to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November 10th. Once again, text PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. Was, Lan- was, was McCullers of the Astros tipping off his pitches? He got tattooed, five homers, all the pressure in the world on the Astros for game four tonight. We'll talk to a former big leaguer about that when we return here to the Jordy Helper Show in the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home. 
for the LSU Tigers. And, boy, they need a win tonight, the Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we're back 17 minutes after the hour. Game four of the World Series tonight with the surprising Philadelphia Phillies leading two games to one thanks to their five home run barrage last night. I wanted to get in a, an ex-big leaguer who, who was a pitcher, and that's what I got because um, he said no to the Texas Rangers back in 2007, said yes to LSU, much to the joy of LSU baseball because he was an instrumental, critical player in the Tigers College World Series effort in 2009 then he became the um, uh, 39th overall selection in the supplemental first round of the 2010 Major League Draft by the Boston Red Sox. Played for the Red Sox, the Rangers, the White Sox. Now he's a businessman and a friend. Anthony Renato, kind enough to join us. How are you, my friend? Jordy, I am great after that intro, man. I am gassed up. That's awesome, dude. Thank you so much for having me, for real. This is great. Well, it's my pleasure. Um if, you, if you're ever in the Baton Rouge area and Perkins Road fans, he's got a great shop called Cards and Culture. Really, really cool, cool place that your kids would love to go and, and witness. But the big story were the home runs, and, and everybody's talking about Bryce Harper. Man, the lead-up music, uh, the MVP <laughs> chance, the first pitch, and bam, it's gone. And then next batter up, he calls him back to the dugout, and he says something to him. So was McCullers tipping his pitches? 1,000%. And you know what's so funny is that we live in this beautiful age of, uh, as some people think it's beautiful, right? But uh, the beautiful age of social media. And I was watching the game last night. I watched the first four or five innings at a restaurant with my girlfriend. And I watched Harper hit the home run. And I said, I was like, could I, before the game, I put some money down for the, for the Phillies to win and for them to win by three. So he hits the home run, and I even told her, I was like, man, I was like, I'm going to tell you right now, I, would have, I should have parlayed Bryce Harper to have two or three extra base hits. But so he does that. I watch it, and then I watched him call over Bohm or whatever to the, yeah. to the side of the dugout, and I told my girlfriend, I was like, man, he just told him something. I was like, I wonder if he was telling him what he saw or what it was. He's probably just telling him, like, what, you know, pitches, the scouting report, that kind of stuff. But then he leads off the next inning, home run, and I was going crazy, right? And I was like, he definitely told him something. And then on Twitter, I, I saw this morning that he was. He was, in fact, tipping his pitches. He was uh, a dead giveaway. So anytime you're doing that, especially against a team as hot as the Phillies, uh, you're going to get lit up a little bit. How, how uh, uh, people are saying the Astros got Astroed because of back in yeah. the day with all their stuff. But um, uh, what did you see? What do you think? How do you tip off your pitches? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what he was doing yesterday, there's a very, there's a, you know, a bunch of different ways that you could do that or you could tip your okay. pitches. Um, for McCullers specifically yesterday on a breaking ball or a fact, I, I, I got to have to go back and double check, but um, one of the pitches when he was bringing his hands over his head, um, it was a little higher on a cur It was actually significantly higher on a curveball than it was on a fastball. Um, I saw it on Twitter where they did an overlay of the fastball-curveball combo, and 
sometimes, you know, major league teams have guys that are literally just keying in on any kind of subtle differences that could tip right. away things. And in the World Series and the biggest stage, um, if you're doing that, somebody's definitely paying attention to it. And, and Harper might have been ready for it, might have watched film and knew it right away and then confirmed it and just told Bohm, he was, it might be, it was like, yeah, hey, what we watched in film session, he's doing it right now, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, definitely remember- interesting stuff. I remember Smoltz uh, in part of the television crew saying uh, he's only thrown one fastball to a left-hander during the entire playoffs. So I'm sure Harper, a lefty, was waiting for a breaking ball of some sort, and he saw that thing must have looked like um, a a softball that uh, that you inflate, you know, when you play in the pool. Must have looked that big (laughs) to him because it was fat and he crushed it. So now I guess – Here's the Astros that have been cruising through things. Boy, all the pressure yep. in the world's on them. Doubt has got to be entering into their mind now. I'm going to be honest with you, Jordy. Before the series, I didn't bet anything because I was so unsure of how it was going to unfold because uh-huh. I genuinely believe that the Astros are head and shoulders of, of a better team, just quality players, their team. They've been together a long time. They've won together. Um, not that the Phillies aren't a good team because they're obviously proving that, but they're so hot right now. They're playing well at the right time. And, I mean, if you look at most World Series champions, that's what it is, right? The Braves were barely in the playoffs, you know, halfway through the season. They weren't the best team all year, but they gelled at the right time last year. They had the, made the right moves, had the right people get healthy, right? And, uh, and so you're kind of seeing that with the Phillies right now. They got hot at the right time. And, and when, when that kind of stuff happens, you win the first game on the road in the eighth, you know, like the way that they did. Like just random things happen where you're like, wow, this team is – it's tough to beat right now. It's amazing. Bryce Harper, Mike Trout came in together, all the fanfare, all the hoopla. Everybody says Trout's the is the best player in baseball. And here's Harper getting it done on the biggest stage. Um, I love seeing it. I love how he has grown and matured. And man, he just he just makes big plays at right times. You, I don't think you could have said it better, man. Just watching his maturation over his career, he is literally one of the most fun guys to watch play. And just the way he carries himself now, it's like and, – and I still think he's undervalued because of the things that you say, like where he gets lost in the Trout debate and Trout is so good. But um, it would be really great for Bryce to get this World Series ring and kind of have that, that chip on his shoulder too. Amazing. Um, Aaron Nola back on the bump for the Phillies. Um, you know, oh, yeah. he's, he's one of those guys that uh, when he's right, he's right. And what do, what do you forecast from Nola now with his second opportunity here in the World Series? Yeah, I, I'm a betting man, so and, and I love Aaron, so it's a little bit of an, an emotional attachment, you know, Baton Rouge kid and LSU yeah. guy, so obviously I got my love for him, but I think he got some, I think he had some bad luck last game. I think, you know, three or four of the hits that he gave up were jam shots, cue balls, they just fell in the right spots. Um, so I actually think his line, I think he pitched better than his line showed, because I, I saw something on ESPN this morning that they were breaking down his first two starts in the postseason versus his last two. And I thought those numbers were kind of skewed. So I, I'm looking for Aaron to bounce back tonight and have a, an ace performance. I'm a little nervous because I think the Astros are that good, and I think they have the ability to tie up the series. Um, but I think Aaron's going to keep him in the game for six or seven innings for sure. Aaron doesn't give up many many homers, does he? I mean, that's um, no that, that that's what the the Phillies rely on. And Christian Javier's going on the on the mound for Houston. So. Um, boy, Houston's got to stay in the game early, right? They got to make uh, Philly a little nervous, or this thing is over. 
That's exactly right. And you said it. He doesn't give up a lot of homers, so that's why I think that's how he got beat last game. A, a couple balls got to fall. They got to get clutch hits at the right time, right? So um, as long as Aaron can kind of keep them off the bases and do what he does and, and you know, his ground balls find, find their guys, um, I think the Phillies are in a, in a, in a prime position. And, and to me, this is why I bet so heavy on the Phillies yesterday was, um, you know, they haven't had a World Series there in what? What is it? Forever. I don't even know. 2000, 2008 was the last time or something, right? Something so, like that, yeah. Uh, Philly, yeah. Fans, Philly fans are ready for some World Series baseball, so that's why I bet yesterday, and I know they're going to be ready today. They're riding a high for sure. You're you're a Jersey boy uh, from birth, but uh, <laughs> hey, with, the, with the Phillies, what they're doing, the Eagles, what they're doing, Sixers got a little catching up to do, but can you imagine what it must be like walking around that city? Oh man, and and when sports are good in Philly, there's an atmosphere. They got a little cockiness to them, so uh, it's do. one of those things. I grew up in Jersey. I was a Yankee fan my whole life, but those Philly fans are ruthless, and like they were pretty good when I was in high school. So it was fun to go to their games and kind of just see their fans and stuff. Because I was halfway in between the Philly Stadium and Yankee Stadium, so I would go to both all the time. And the Philly ride was actually easier. So I like their ballpark. Yeah. It's super fun when it's packed and stuff. So those fans are electric. It's it's definitely a fun time for them right now. Okay. I got to cover the Hornets when uh, Iverson was playing for the Sixers and Larry Brown was coaching them, and, man, they packed that place. It was fun. Let me ask you, uh, Christian Javier for the Astros, uh, facing Philly for the first time in his brief career, is there an advantage for that? Who has the advantage, the pitcher who is throwing for the first time or the hitters who've never seen this guy before? Man, that's a great question. Um, I think I give the advantage to the hitter, especially in this situation, rookie versus more of a vet. Aaron's the longest tenured player on the Phillies. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of give him the, the edge, you know, Javier, like just the, the young cockiness, the, mm-hmm. um, I don't, not saying him specifically, but like, right, when you're young, you just kind of have that, that arrogance about you a little bit. So maybe he doesn't, you know, think twice about Aaron Nola. And maybe Aaron Nola's thinking a little bit more about him um, and the way that he's playing in the postseason and stuff, right? So that's yeah. where my mind immediately goes, but that's my experience personally. So Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see how it, how it turns out for sure. You, you've been there and done that. Um, favorite memory from the 2009 College World Series victorious LSU Tigers. You got one? Ooh, Yeah. Um, I, I say this because it's obviously I'm going to name drop a little bit, but DJ LeMay, he was one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, he grew up in Michigan, a gold club, by fan, the way. right? So when we were taking our lap around the field after we won the national championship, I, I was with him and I was like, Hey dude, do you want to do a Lambo leap into the, into the stands in left field where all our, you know, college, <laughs> all the college kids were at and everything. And he was like, uh, yeah. So we get to left field and we kind of tell all the fans, we point at them or say, Hey, we're going to do a Lambo leap. We're coming up with you. And the fence was like, it was a, it was a high fence. It had been 15 feet. So DJ and I sprinted like foot in the wall, jumped up and they pulled us up and we just sat up in the stands for a couple minutes with, uh, with all the fans. So that was one of my favorite memories. DJ and I just kind of saying we were going to do it, did it. Um, and that's, uh, you know, obviously national championship. That team was really, really special. And honestly, when I watched the Phillies, like I'm not trying to, you know, make comparisons, but I tell people all the time when, when we were winning the champion, we knew we were winning the championship. It was like, if we were down a run or two in, in the seventh, eighth or ninth, it was more like we were looking at the lineup to say, Who's coming up and who's going to be the hero? Because we knew we were going to win. It was just a matter of time or who and when and all that stuff. And I feel like that's kind of what the Phillies are going through right now. Isn't that a great feeling? My gosh. And by the way, uh, LeMahieu just won another Gold Glove uh, uh, award. And um, Did he? so that's pretty cool. Uh, did you? I didn't. I thought he'd be a good player. I didn't think he'd be this good. He. I mean, he's really good. 
uh, Jordy, I thought he was already so good. And, and it's like, I think it's just like, it's so crazy to see how good he is in the major leagues, right? You just knew it. He's your friend. He was close. He's in Baton Rouge. And then just to be like, oh, you're like really good, like one of the best ever to do it, you know, type thing. Yeah. So um, he really is. He's, and he's such a special dude in the sense of not cocky, not loud, not, you know, out there, like just a great human being. He cares about his teammates and he cares about the right thing. So um, I, I wish him all the success always. Well, he's got a great career. You'd have had a much longer career if not for injuries, uh, and that's a shame. But tell everybody about uh, the concept of cards and culture. It's a really cool place, I must admit. Uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, since I was playing, I was you know always in the world of signing autographs and memorabilia and stuff. And over my time, I never really had a spot that I really enjoyed going to do those things. And I'd never really heard of a spot where you could get your collectibles, your memorabilia, your sports cards, and, and that kind of stuff and make it kind of cool, right? So, um, you know, I, I think the industry and the, in the, you know, helped me in the sense during COVID, that stuff became a lot more popular. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what it is. I say if people are familiar with StockX, which is a reselling website, we're a reselling shop. We're a collectible shop, um, but there's really cool stuff. It's got memorabilia, Hall of Fame kind of art gallery vibes, but you yeah. can get all kinds of sneakers, art, Jerseys. memorabilia, sports cards, all kinds of stuff. And we host you know events and things like that. So it's, it's really a cool atmosphere, and I enjoy it every day. And, and you got to go sit on the purple couch because that's where it all happens. That's man. right. It's a great fun. That's right. That's where I record place. my podcast on the purple couch. Yep. There you go, <laughs> you man. Anthony, Anthony Renato. Um, I, I, I'm terrible for not having you on sooner. Uh, but uh, if this thing goes uh, seven games, we're having you on again. So just be ready. But thanks. So McCullers, to make this thing go full circle, he was definitely tipping his pitches last night. 100%. I mean, yeah, it's it was obvious. And, uh, yeah, maybe a little karma for the Astros, right? But uh, that's part of the game, I think. <laughs> if you're tipping your pitches, you're liable to that kind of stuff. And, Kudos to the to the Phillies for taking advantage of it because it's still hard to hit a baseball even when you know what's coming. <laughs> You're the best. You're the best. Anthony, thank you so much, big guy. Um, yep. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jordy. Appreciate you. All right, buddy. Anthony Renato, definitely tipping his pictures. There you go. Down two to one. The Astros need to take down the Phillies tonight in the World Series. Will they get it done? You can find out by listening to every pitch, clutch hit, and thrilling moment of game four tonight on the game 1037 Lafayette and 104-1 Lake Charles. Astro Launch begins at 6.30. First pick set for 7.03, and you can listen to it all live on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104-1 Lake Charles. Tigers tied next with Wilson Alexander here on the Jordy Helpert Show. On the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104-1 Lake Charles. Your home for what promises to be a raucous LSU and Tiger Stadium Saturday night. We'll be right back. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, we've got a top 10 matchup in Tiger Stadium. Wow. <laughs> The first college football playoff rankings came out, and LSU's in there at number 10. Alabama at number 6. Wilson Alexander covers the Tigers on a day-to-day basis for the advocate, and he's kind enough to join us. Wilson, I, I got to tell you, I was surprised where LSU showed up. I'm thrilled for them. Were you surprised when the college football playoff rankings came out? Absolutely. 
it was interesting watching the show. You kept getting down past 25, past 20, past 15. Yes. Once we got past 15, and then once we got, then they went from to 11. And I was like, wait, did they not rank LSU? Exactly. <laughs> and then they showed up at 10. <laughs> <laughs> Which was uh, just a surprise because, I mean, you know, they're 15 in the AP poll, and obviously these are completely different rankings and all that, but um, generally there's some similarities in where teams end up, and um, that was a, a big jump, certainly one of the biggest surprises of the rankings released to have LSU at number 10. But um, committee chair uh, Boo Corgan asked him yesterday why that was the case, and he said they seem to be getting better and better. Uh, so LSU is now the highest-ranked two-loss team in the country. Wow. My uh, my dad, may he rest in peace, love him, love him, love him. He was always the cynic. He would, he was going to say, I promise you, if he were here, he'd say, oh, that's his ESPN doing that so they have a top 10 matchup and they can promote it. That's why they put LSU at number 10. You believe that? Uh, um, I don't think that that is completely, like, unreasonable. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, 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 there could be some of that at play. Um, yeah. I mean, it, was, it made sense that they might be ranked ahead of Ole Miss. Um, but they were All also right. ahead of like a pretty solid UCLA team. Um, and yeah, now whether or not that was the case, yes, now yes, it is reality that ESPN can now market this as a top 10 game to watch in primetime. <laughs> pretty shrewd, pretty smart, pretty fortunate for LSU, but uh, they have improved. There's no question about that. And obviously the committee valued Ole Miss and that uh, the way that LSU kind of thoroughly dominated them was significant. Um, I ask you this every time I get you on. It's amazing how this team has improved from that Florida State game to where they are now. Um, which which area has this team improved the most? Is it the quarterback position? Is it the offensive line? Is it the defensive front? Where do you see this team has made the biggest quantum leap? It's funny that you asked that because Brian Kelly was asked a similar question this morning on the SEC coaches teleconference, oh. and he said that LS, he could talk for – He's like, well, we could be here forever going over uh, all the different things that have gotten better. Um, and, he, and he's right. It, it's a lot of different things. I mean, they sort of responded in terms of their preparation during the week. He thinks has gotten a lot better, that they're really right. accepting sort of his process for things. And that's now showing up on Saturdays. And even though that's not something that we just sort of see on the field, it is important uh, for the, not only this season, but sort of the long-term outlook of the program, that the players are doing things the way that uh, he wants them to be done. And then – but in terms of what we're seeing on the field, I would say both of the ones that you mentioned, the offensive line and Jaden Daniels, and then the way that those are sort of working in tandem. The offensive line has gotten a lot better, even though it has only really recently had the same lineup, and even that's been without starting left guard Garrett Dellinger as he's coming off a knee injury. Um, they've gotten a lot better in the last two games. They're giving Jaden Daniels more time. They're opening up some rush lanes. And then Jaden, but it really starts with Jaden. I mean, the LC's put the ball in his hands. And he's mm-hmm. done a great job with it, um, no doubt. working on the RPO action and the zone reads and all those sorts of things. He's gotten a lot better over the last few weeks. It, I mean, if he plays Saturday like he's played the past two Saturdays, LSU has a legit chance. But what's, what is going to be interesting for me, yes, those two freshman tackles have been – they get better and better. But they're going up against the best defense and the best rushers that they have seen all year long. And so how – how do they handle that against a guy that was picked as a preseason Heisman Trophy candidate from the defensive side of things? That's to me, is where this game, uh, a, a lot of the decision of this game's outcome will be determined by. Do you agree? Absolutely. LSU, you know, Alabama was sort of 
uh, on, had to change what it likes to do defensively when it played Tennessee because of the of Tennessee's offensive structure and scheme. The way they're so spread out, up tempo, uh, it actually forced Alabama to at times use Dallas Turner and Will Anderson in pass coverage, which is not really what they want to do with those two guys. Although they, you know, Will I think in particular is capable of doing it. Sometimes they want to pin their ears back and rush the passer off the edges. LSU doesn't have the same offensive scheme, and it's not going to suddenly implement those kinds of things. What works for them is something that, unfortunately, would allow Alabama to potentially rush the passer like it wants to. Um, and it's going to have to be able to handle those one-on-one matchups when they're there. Uh, will Campbell and Emory Jones is the biggest test that they've faced with Will Anderson and, and Dallas Turner on the other side. Yeah. LSU also is going to do some things um, to try to give Dayton Daniels more time use max protection a little bit more, bring in the running back and the tight end to chip and help uh, you know, block and give him an extra split second of time and help out those tackles on the edges. Uh, this is going to be a big test for them. LSU will do some of those kinds of things to try to help. Um, but at the end of the day, they've got to be able to win uh, those battles when they're in them. Who is the best uh, blocking running back? And who is the best blocking tight end for LSU, in your opinion? The best blocking running back is Josh Williams. Uh, he's yeah. undersized at about 5'7". But he even sometimes he has to jump up there, Brian Kelly said once. But Josh has been their best uh, pass protector at running back. That's part of the reason he was got on the field in the first place, and now he's done a really good job with the carries that he's gotten. Yeah. Uh, at yeah. tight end, it's a little bit unclear exactly who their best pass blocker is. Excuse me, this blocker in general is at tight end. Um, they don't. That's something that kind of throughout the season, Brian Kelly said that they've had to work on. Uh, Mason Taylor's been in there the most, though, and whether or not he's necessarily their, their best option, he, I think he has improved a little bit as a blocker, um, and they really like him as a pass catcher. But they'll also bring in, like, Cole Taylor and uh, Nick Stores and maybe even sometimes Jack Mashburn uh, to help with the blocking. Wilson Alexander, the advocate, kind enough to join us. LSU, Alabama, 6 p.m., sold-out Tiger Stadium, national television, a lot at stake on this one. Uh, control of the SEC West is for the taking, for the winner. Um, I know Bryce Young's a great quarterback, no doubt about it. But to me, to me, the key is how does LSU control Jameer Gibbs? Because he can hurt you running it. He can hurt you catching it. Uh, I think they've got to make Alabama one-dimensional if that's at all possible because I, I know they're, they're you know they still have five-star receivers, but they don't have those guys like they've had in the past that are doing that thing in the NFL now. So to me, you got to make Alabama throw it to beat you, but you can't let Gibbs go off. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. He has been their best offensive weapon, um, and he, I mean he's dynamic. He he actually leads the team in receptions. He's got 31 catches this year. Um, the next leading receiver has 28. Uh, this is not an Alabama room at receiver like you said that, uh, of, of the past few years. There's no Jamison Williams or Devontae Smith or anybody like that uh, who else you might have, really has to account for on the outside and, and maybe try to double cover or shade a safety over to one side. It really mm-hmm. it, it, it gives and, and Bryce Young's ability to create and, and lift up those receivers uh, around him because uh, Gibbs can do so many different things. He's, good. He's really shifty. Uh, there's some Alvin Kamara in him that a lot of people have yeah. pointed out. Um, yeah. in the way that he runs. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, and it really kind of comes down to what LSU does at linebacker. I mean, this is a big game for Micah Baskerville, for Harold Perkins, for B.J. Ojolari in terms of stopping Jameer Gibbs because uh, they're not going to be able to just completely shut down the run and make him throw because even if he does, he might throw to Jameer Gibbs. So it, it, they're yeah. going to have to be able to swim the ball uh, and tackle really well to not let him turn anything short uh, that he gets out of the backfield and do a long game. 
It's always a line of scrimmage game when these two teams meet. Always. Um, who controls the line of scrimmage best is the team that wins. But at least I feel LSU has a type of quarterback that has the capabilities of giving a Nick Saban defense some troubles. And we haven't had that in a long time. Burrow was an exception to the rule. But prior to all that, the quarterback play just never, never measured up. So, again, so much is on the shoulders of Jaden Daniels and how he performs. It absolutely is. He is the star. I mean, not just because he plays quarterback, but because of what else he does with zone reads and now RPOs that have become much more prevalent in particular the last two weeks. Uh, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Um, yeah. You know, he's accounts for so many of their yards. They've got three games this year with a hundred yard rusher. Jane Daniels is two of them. Um, mm. He is going, he's, you know, he's a running game and their passing game. And the way he distributes the ball, to all those receivers is incredibly important. This is his biggest test. This is a chance for him to prove not only that he has made all these strides as a quarterback. I think he proved that last week that he's made a lot of strides, but now to yes. do it against, a top 10 defense, even though Alabama doesn't have the defense that it used to have, it still has Will Anderson, it still has Dallas Turner. They've allowed 15 yeah. touchdowns this year, which is sixth yeah. least in the country, and only yeah. seven of those came against Tennessee. Um, yeah. So they, they've really, on the whole, been been playing pretty good defense. Uh, Jaden's going to have to have a really good game, uh, be able to do the things that he did the last two weeks. If he does, then yeah, LSU has a chance to win, but it really comes down to him. Um, and this is a, this is a, let's, let's just cut to the chase. This is a money game for Kayshawn Booty. I mean, this is his chance to to wipe away whatever has happened earlier. He's gotten better. He's starting to get more involved. He seems to be more um, a part of the whole group, whereas earlier in the season he seemed like distant and aloof. But this is his money game. If you could, Every scout in the NFL is going to be watching this game, and if he comes up with a Booty-like performance that we were used to before he got hurt, this is a money game. This is his chance. That's a really good point, something I hadn't really thought about in sort of the scope, full scope of the game. It is a huge game for Kayshawn, for all these receivers, but particularly for Kayshawn, because you saw what he did against Florida, how that's really when LSU started to turn things around on offense mm-hmm. was in that first drive when he and Jaden uh, connected for a couple of big plays. Um, that's when the offense really started clicking and, and picked up those third downs, and then it's been on a roll since then. Um, you know, he didn't have as, as big of a game against Ole Miss. LSU was running the ball a lot in the second half. Anyway, he also seemed to maybe got a little dinged up early in that game, and you know, they had to retape his ankles uh, after he kind of got rolled on. Um, but he is still uh, a catalyst of this offense, and if uh, he has a big game, you know, and, and has a hundred yard kind of game against Alabama, one it, it spells. Uh, well for LSU's chances to win, but also for yeah. him and his long-term future. You know, there's still, uh, I think, that the case that he is one of the top receivers in the class, even though the production hasn't been there this year. But this is a chance for him to really kind of cement that against a top opponent. Wilson Alexander, the advocate, you talked about Brian Kelly talking about doing things practice-wise to pick up the tempo and get going, just like against Tennessee. If they fall behind Alabama like they did against Tennessee, they got no shot. So they've got to get out of the gate in a hurry. And and I say this all the time. When LSU was great in that 2019 season, they had to score a lot of points to beat Bama. And Bama was coming back every time. And LSU had to answer. Then Alabama answered. Then LSU had to answer. Same thing this year against Tennessee. It's not like Tennessee blew Alabama out. They only won. they, They won by three. They had to score 52 points to beat Alabama. So LSU's offense is... No field goals. You better score touchdowns, you know? Yeah, they do. I mean, they have to play not 
necessarily perfect, but pretty darn close to perfect in order close. to win this game because that's usually what it takes to beat Alabama. Um, I mean, yeah. just typically that's that's what it, what you have to do, and um, a lot of that does start with getting off to a good start. LSU did not play well against Tennessee, and making no like excuses for them. They also, uh, I mean, got sort of put themselves in such an early hole that the score right. ended up just inflating, and there was. But five, you know, five minutes in the game, it was like, oh well, this is pretty much over. Um, right. Especially once you got in the second quarter, down twenty to nothing against that team, it's like, okay, well, LSU's lost, and um, you know, not all is lost because they've done a good job of comebacks this year. Uh, I mean, they have done a good job of digging themselves out of some of the holes that they've created for themselves. But against a team like Alabama and those Tennessees, like you're not, you weren't able to do it against Tennessee, and, and Alabama is a similar kind of opponent where, yeah, if you fall behind quickly, seventeen three. You're probably not going to be, unless you suddenly rip off a bunch of turnovers and capitalize on them, you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to match possessions uh, and, and have that kind of high scoring game in order to beat them. Um, you got to, it, it is definitely crucial for them to get off to a good start. And, and even if they fall behind, match right away um, so that they're not in another double digit hole against one of the top teams in the country. Wilson, what would a win over Alabama do for Brian Kelly in this program? Oh gosh, it would be huge. Even if um, it doesn't necessarily, I think, change too much of what's happening internally, uh, mm-hmm. win or loss. Uh, so much this year hasn't necessarily been about outcomes, but it's been about you know installing process and, and getting what Kelly wants in place. And then, the, mm-hmm. but the results have been much better than expected um, yeah. internally. Uh, you probably still are doing you know the same things that you were, but it gives the players just even more of that buy-in and that belief that what they are doing is working and is effective. And then it gets everybody else publicly completely on board. I mean, if they knock off Alabama and all of a sudden they're two uh, wins away from going to the SEC championship game in year one, uh, the support for Kelly would just go wow. through the roof. Um, right off the bat, a lot faster than anyone he would have expected. You win this one, you get to the SEC championship game, you play either Georgia or Tennessee, and uh, and some manna from heaven falls from the sky. You're in the playoffs if you win with two losses. I mean, it's it's so far fetched, it's so hard to believe. But so was that year with Les Miles when they had all those overtime losses and got to the championship game thanks to West Virginia doing what they did. Um, you never know. You got to keep hope alive, Wilson. Keep hope alive. Hey, that's. I mean, what else do you have to cling to, right? No reason yeah. to to say right away that there's no <laughs> chance. Uh, be a little realistic with it, you know. I mean, I was, right. you, it, like you said, it would take a weird year. Uh, it would be really just incredibly improbable. Um, but yeah, yeah, if you're an LSU fan, why not hope? I mean, it, sometimes you know it can feel if you get your hopes up, it, it really hurts when you get let down. Um, but, you know, the first time in two years that LSU is, has a top 10 primetime game in Tiger Stadium, first time since that 2019 season. And um, that's reason enough to, to be pretty excited. Um, and let's, I think what we could, should all hope for the most is just a, a good game uh, to watch. Bama's had great quarterbacks before. We've seen that. But they don't have those same great receivers they've had. And their defense is not as it's good. It's very good, but it's not dominatingly good like they've been before and LSU's got a quarterback that gives Saban's defenses teams fits in the past and hopefully in the present we shall see it'll be fun watching but it's always great talking with you so uh keep up the great work and uh we'll talk to you again soon man hopefully after a win you never know you never know that's why you play the games right I hear you brother thank you Wilson
Thanks, Jordy. Have a good one. All Appreciate right. you having You're me. You're the best. All right. There is uh, uh, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. We'll wrap up our number one after this time out here on the Jordy Helper Show. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, he's sweating it out because, you know, there's no bigger and more animated Houston Astros fan than our guy Kevin Foote. He is sweating it out. You can watch Foote watch Game 5 of the World Series by tuning in to the game's Facebook and Twitch accounts on Thursday night. Oh, Kevin will be cheering on his Astros to a victory, he hopes, and will be joined by some special guests. So tune in to the game's Facebook and Twitch accounts Thursday night starting at 7. Is this like the Manning cast? To watch the footcast uh, of the Astros in the World Series. The footcast. There you go. Um, so, but don't forget, game four is tonight. Uh, big one with Aaron Nola, the former Tiger, on the mound for the Phillies. Coming up, our number two of the program. We'll talk New Orleans Saints with Ralph Marlborough and then Hump Day with Huguenin. All things college football. We got a lot to talk about with him. So come on back after the top of the hour break. This is the Jordy Helper Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the Tigers and the Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two, and away we go. It's game uh, four of the World Series. Astros need a win tonight in a big-time way. Standing in their way is former LSU Tiger Aaron Nola on the mound for the Phillies. We're a day closer to the big showdown in Tiger Stadium. We've got that Anthony Davis trade to the Lakers is getting looking better and better every day as the Pels are in Tinseltown to take on the struggling Lakers, trying to get them to one and six. And we have to wait till Monday night. It's, it's amazing what one game can do to change the fate and the the personality of a team and a city. Man, it, things were doom and gloom until the Saints pitched their 16th shutout in their franchise's history against the Raiders, and now hope springs eternal. As Monday night, the Baltimore Ravens come to the Superdome to take on the Saints. One of my favorite guests. He's, he's smart. He's funny. He's enthusiastic. Ralph Marlboro, kind enough to join us. Ralph, does that kind of sum it up? The city must be all a buzz again, right? It does. It, the, the twenty two, the twenty twenty two Saints, they remind me of like golf. 
You know, like you play a bad round of golf and you're like on the 17th hole and you're like, I am never playing this stupid sport again. And then you take out the seven iron and you hit it perfect. Like 150, yeah. 156 yards, like four feet from the pin. You're like, I love this game. I'm coming back next week. <laughs> That's, That's the right. 2022 stage. All it took was like one good moment and we're, and we're they got us. We're back in. What, what, what happened with the Saints? How did they, I don't care who you play. To shut out an NFL team and to not right. allow them to cross midfield until garbage time at the end of the game, what what happened all of a sudden? I think it was like the perfect storm of like one, the Raiders had like the flu run through their building, and I don't know if that affected. I don't know that that swung the game all the way to the Saints' favor, but like Devontae Adams had the flu, Darren Waller missed, so that yeah. was good. The Saints got healthy and played well. Derek Carr was terrible from the jump. He's like overthrowing yeah. wide open guys. But also, too, Jordy, I think uh, Josh McDaniels is a terrible coach. Like, he got pants. I want to give you an example. Remember that, that fake punt that the, the, the Raiders tried and the Saints yep. just crushed it, right, early in the yep. game? Here's the thing the Saints on that play, they didn't have the special teams in. Dennis Allen, they play, the Saints play a formation, they call it stay, where they leave the regular defense in, they replace the safety with the punt returner, right? Yeah. And the Raiders looked at the defense and either didn't know that the Saints were in regular defense or didn't care. Either way, Jordy, <laughs> that's horrifically bad coaching. And I just think Josh McDaniels, like, once the Saints stuffed the running game, he didn't have, like, a second move. And the Saints just pummeled them from start to finish. You're, you're so accurate. I, I'm just watching the game on television, and every shot they took of McDaniel, he's sitting there on the sideline like not doing anything. They didn't change anything. They didn't attempt. To, it reminded me of Les Miles against Alabama in the Superdome for the national championship. We're going to do what we do, and I don't care what the score is, and we're just going to keep doing it no matter how futile it is. And that's what it looked like. It did look it did look like that. And the thing is, like the Raiders defense is is horrible. Like they're they're you know, they have Max Crosby. Basically they came into that game, Jordy. He was the only guy on their defense that had more than a sack. Like that's mm. incredible, right? So the yeah. Saints just shoved the Saints just shoved them around. But the the positive for the Saints is like you start you started to see, I think, what they wanna do on defense, where they got pressure and Teron Matthew, Honey Badger, who we were super excited about. He signed with Saints. He, it's been a struggle for him, I think. You know, he had the issue where he missed some time in training and that. But you really saw it. Like, he started to tackle better Sunday. And you could see the Saints moving him around, and he was starting to make plays. He had the interception. He almost had the mm-hmm. pick six, which would have been amazing, Jordy. Just can I just say, like, if he would have caught that pick six and oh. walked in the end, then the Superdome would have exploded, right? So I think <laughs> yes. you saw... Good signs for the Saints. Like not only did they win, they stomped the bad team into the ground, and right. that at least gives you that at least gives you hope that like you know they didn't win a game where it was like oh they won and that's great, but it, the Raiders were bad, the, the Saints were bad, but the Raiders were worse, and every, a win is a win. Now this was a good performance by them. They looked good, they felt good, and it, like Andy Dalton, I I don't know that he's better than James Jordy, but I feel like. Anytime when you're having a quarterback debate and you can't explain to me why Jameis needs to start over Andy Dalton in less than 15 seconds, like that's a huge indictment against Jameis. I'm with you.
completely. But look, you mentioned how bad the uh, Raiders' defense is. We we got a whole and how bad Derek Carr was. We got a whole new can of worms coming into the the Superdome with a quarterback that's very difficult to sack and a pretty mm-hmm. good defense that got a little bit better with the trade for, for Roquan Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it was op- uh, Ravens opened up three and a half. As road mm-hmm. favorites, it's gone down to two and a half now. Um, God, I mean, the Saints ought to be confident. The the building's going to be raucous, right? Yeah, I mean, it's different beast. A gambler like me and Monday Night Home Dog is something that it it hasn't hold it doesn't hold up as well as it used to, but it's still yeah. a really good bet. The thing with Baltimore is they may be they're going to not going to have Bateman. They're number one receiver. Mark Andrews has got injury issues. He just banged up last Thursday. We'll see how he heals up. If those two guys can't go, it really swings it to the Saints because then you can really focus in on stopping Lamar. The issue with mm-hmm. Lamar that I worry about, Jordy, to get not to be two X's and O's, but the Saints, they like to play a lot of press man. And when you play press man against Lamar, your, your yeah. defensive yeah. backs have to turn their back to him, yeah. and that gives them yeah. lanes to go. But the Saints have played a lot more zone without Lattimore. So I'll be interested to see if Lattimore comes back and see the injury report, what they do. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be a very, very difficult game because Baltimore is very good. I'm also interested in, like, Baltimore's secondary, you would think it would be better, but it's kind of banged up, and you can throw the ball all over Baltimore. So I'm going to be interested to see – the Saints, especially Landry's probably coming back. So it's going to be interesting to see if Andy Dalton can shake his primetime bugaboo because he is horrific in primetime games. Like he's, it's bad. I think it's like 1-16. and 16 And yeah, I know he right. played a lot of good teams in Cincinnati, but it's, it's a house of horrors for him. On, Let's on start the Jameis then. Games. Start Jameis then. Let's not throw <laughs> – Let's not take a chance. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Maybe he has been, he has been woeful. And then put Andy Dalton. There you go. Yeah, he has been woeful in primetime games. You are absolutely uh, correct. I'm curious because um, you're in the city and the Pels playing the Lakers tonight. There's a there's a healthy buzz. I mean, Friday, the, the Warriors come to town mm-hmm. and uh, you can't get a ticket. So that's pretty good. No, I mean, it was. I was really excited because, you know, opening night, you're always going to have a good crowd. But the second game, they had a big crowd. And I just think the Pelicans, there is a buzz that built for them because they, they started out so terrible last year, right? And then yeah. they made the run to the playoffs. And something happened in that playoff run where I think the city woke up to it and got excited. And the Pelicans just now they have this attitude of, we're just going to play hard every night. And yeah. when you do that in the NBA, Jordy, you know, like, if, You're gonna win there's games. a lot of teams where they just take nights off, and the, the Pelicans just don't. They just yeah. grind and grind. And the thing is, them, they're so freaking, they're so freaking deep. I, this, the Pelicans are good, but I admit, I hate the Lakers. And the Lakers trade that, that David Griffin too. made, he gave us yeah. a gift, Jordy. And yes. that is, we get to hate watch the Lakers and know that the Pelicans own their future. And I have That's to right. say, watching the Lakers and checking my app every time they play and seeing them lose and seeing them be 1-6 and six and know that the Pelicans own their future, it truly is a delight. 
And guess what? Anthony Davis is hurt again. There you go. Um, but look, this remind this team reminds me. It reminds me of the old Hornets when they drafted mm-hmm. Chris Paul and they had David West mm-hmm. and they had Tyson Chandler and Peja Stojakovic. Mm-hmm. That was such a close knit team. They had fun together. As you mentioned, yeah. they played hard every night. And they were a win away from going to the Western Conference Finals when San Antonio beat them in the uh, back there at the at the uh, arena. Um, they, but this this team reminds me of that. They're young, they're energetic, mm-hmm. they get along with one another, they love their coach. And in mm-hmm. that league, you see what's going on with the Nets and these other teams. Yeah. If you like the coach and they all buy in, you're going to win games. Yeah, because the thing is. When you have a, I think when you have a young team that hasn't won anything, they enjoy playing and they don't and, and they don't take nights off, right? right? And you see it where I think you see it with a bunch of these teams, Utah and San Antonio, that were supposed to be terrible. They have these good coaches and they're just like, we're just going to play hard and we're not going to let you get away from us. The thing with the Pelicans that is incredible to me is. Gail Benson really let David Griffin like cycle through a bunch of coaches to get it right. Like yeah. most owners would be like, I'm not letting you fire another yeah. coach. And yeah. she let him do it. And I believe that not that she's a basketball salon or anything, but just allowing him to do that was incredible. And I think the Pelicans like like they just need if they get good health, Jordy, they're going to win That's the title. It. Maybe not this year, but in the next five years, if they are healthy, they're going to win a title, which to me, if you had told me that last December, I'd be like, are you on drugs? This team is 1-13. <laughs> but it, 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 turns, it turns just like that. And the funniest part will be when the Lakers get the number one pick next year and we get that alien French dude via the Lakers, that will be the cherry on top. I'm waiting for it. That's when we all we all ascend to heaven. That, that alien from France, <laughs> Wembaya from uh, seven foot four phenom. Uh, all right, real quick, wrapping things up. Saints, Ravens. How do you see it coming out? I know it's early, but how do you see it? I see. I see. The, I see it a lot, a lot of like Cincinnati game where the Saints play well, they win the turnover battle, but in the end, we're we're like walking out the stadium and we're like, bleepity bleep, that's that yeah. stupid Lamar Jackson, we got yeah. Jackson. And, like, he's just, like, Burrow, right? Like, the Saints outplayed Cincinnati, but Burrow just was like, I'm not losing this game. And he made, like, three incredible plays. And that's my fear with Lamar Jackson. Like, he's just going to get the Ravens over the line some kind of way. And I think I think Tulane and LSU are both going to win, and we're going to be closer to our dream of Tulane LSU in the Cotton Bowl. So I can't three see all three big local teams winning this weekend, so one of them's got to lose. I think it's going to be the same. Wow. You know what has to happen? Um, I'm going to send the clip December 31st, 2016, Citrus Bowl, LSU versus Louisville. Uh, Louisville had a quarterback by the name of Lamar, Lamar Jackson, and LSU dominated them, dominated him. I'm going to show them that, uh, that clip, and that's how you stop. That's how that's you right. stop Lamar Jackson. That's how you do it. Twenty nine to nine you just, you just was like, the final. Like Ralph. nine super fast guys. Twenty nine to nine. Arden Key snuffed out Lamar Jackson. That's right. what he got to do. That's right. And the thing with Lamar is Baltimore's offense is kind of 
I don't know how to describe it. It's very good if you look at it by advanced numbers. But, Jordy, it feels like they don't maximize Lamar Jackson in a way. And that's what I want to see. If the injury report tilts the Saints' way, and, and like I said, Andrews and Bateman are out, I might change my pick for Monday. But i got to see that injury report. because yeah, then, that's the key. If they don't have receivers, you can really focus on – Lamar Jackson is not beating us running the football. But it, 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 it'll depend on the injury report uh, today and tomorrow. Saints defense ought to be on an uptick. They got to feel really good. So um, Monday night magic in the dome, man. I'm taking the Saints early on. I'm taking the Saints. I don't care about Lamar Jackson. Give me the Saints. We'll see. Uh, Ralph Balber, keep up the great work. Always fun talking with you. Tulane, LSU in the Cotton Bowl? Really? Yeah, don't, doesn't, it, it just gives you tingles, doesn't it, Jordy? Like, we, we need that. Like, that would be amazing, Ralph, wouldn't it? LSU's going to beat Bama. They're going to win out. They're going to get to the SEC <laughs> championship game. They're going to beat Georgia. They're going to the college playoff, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, right. Just kidding, Ralph. Just kidding. Yeah, well, if they could beat Bama, they, they could beat Bama. They, they'll, if they could beat Bama and then win out, even if they lose in the playoffs, they'll get a New Year's Six Bowl. Then we just need Tulane to handle their business and – like Tulane and LSU fans hating on each other, <laughs> would tell, be me worth that. It. Tell, that tell me that wouldn't be amazing, Jordy. For a that would, that Come on, be, we need it. That would be that would be amazing, no doubt. Ralph, you're amazing. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy the rest right. of your week, man. Take All care. Right, you too, Jordy. All right, Ralph Marlborough with us. Um, uh, all right, let's take a quick time out here. We got to get to hump day with Huguenin. Uh, all things college football next here on the Jordy Helpert Show. Prove this message. Paid for by Captain Higgins for Congress. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is hump day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. What's up, Michael? How are you, my friend? Uh, doing well. Uh, looking forward to uh, what should be a pretty uh, interesting weekend of college football. No question. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, first college football playoff um, poll came out. Uh, Tennessee number one. Did that surprise you? Or, and uh, I guess... If you're a TCU Horn Frog friend, you you're probably a little bit upset today. Yeah, I think you're irritated if you're TCU. I, I don't also think Michigan should be ahead of Clemson, but Tennessee did not surprise me. But I think it's obvious, um, given the the, the uh, I shouldn't say obvious, but the potential is there for TCU to go 13 and 0 and not get invited to the playoff. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that um, is. I mean, this is, you know, you can say all you want about, oh, you know, the 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 Big Twelve isn't that good. It's not as good as the SEC, and and yeah, that's 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 true. At the same time, um, it's not as if Tennessee has blitzed everybody. They went to OT to beat Pitt. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida was throwing into the end zone on the final play for the win. Um, they gave up 49 points to Alabama, one on the last play field goal. Um, you know, Ohio State has looked shaky at times, including the entire first half of the Iowa game and three quarters last week against Penn State. Um, Alabama has got the one loss, plus it had to kick a last 
second field goal to beat Texas and barely held off a really bad A&M team. Georgia was trailing in the fourth quarter to Missouri. And, yes, TCU has fallen behind often this year, but they've also roared back and won every game. And it is – I was – I guess I wasn't necessarily surprised that TCU was seven, but I was uh, I was a little bit like, oh, okay, this is this is why we need a twelve-team playoff sooner yeah. rather than later. I'm with you. I was I got to tell you, I'm thrilled for LSU, but I was shocked they came in at number ten. Ten, yeah. I mean, this is a team that you know they lost to FSU. Um, granted, it, they could have won that game, but they did lose, and they played really bad football for a half, and Tennessee blew their doors in. But yep. they've righted the ship a little bit, um, and, and they did. One of the losses was to the number one team, and the other one was by one point. Um, so it, it, and they obviously have a gigantic game this weekend, and there's, uh, you know, Ivan Mazel, who I work with, wrote something the other day that you look at tennis, you look at LSU with two losses, if they went out, they deserve a playoff yes. bid. So there's a lot yes. of interesting things happening um, in, in the top ten. You know, Oregon with that gigantic blight on their record with the opening game loss, but they're still eighth because they've blown everybody else out. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of cool storylines still around. And, yeah, there's four weeks of the regular season to go. There's conference championship weekend, so there's five weeks of games that are important. But, man, the fact that this is the first weekend in November, the fact that the first uh, FBC rankings came out on November 1st, this mm-hmm. is going to be a really, really cool final month of the season. And we've got some big games that we're going to talk about in our next segment, obviously. Um, what, was, what stood out to you from last weekend's um, games? What was, what was the most significant thing for you? Oklahoma State just getting its doors blown in by K-State. That removes Oklahoma State from any hope for the playoff. I mean, Kansas State not only beat them, they beat the fire out of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Tennessee rolling over Kentucky. You know, Tennessee goes right down the field, scores on its first possession. Kentucky answers, goes right down the field, scores on its possession. And then it's as if Kentucky stopped playing. Um, You know, that was a route. Um, North Carolina scoring just a boatload of points. I don't think people are paying enough attention to Drake May um, and North Carolina. North Carolina, they they can yeah. clinch their division in the coast in the ACC this weekend. The same with Clemson. So um, Drake Drake May's having a phenomenal season, and then the Michigan State Michigan tunnel brouhaha afterwards. Yeah, let's an embarrassment for Michigan State. Gigantic embarrassment. Okay. You got players beating up on. You got eight guys attacking one guy. That's that's low class. And there's been eight suspensions. But it's also the second game in a row where there's been problems in that tunnel. And the idea. And I know Michigan Stadium's old. Um, I, I I don't know. Maybe you know, but I, I I don't. I can't think of that many football stadiums where no. the opponents. Where both teams have to go in one tunnel at the same time. That's that's it, not good. It, and my very simple. Is that will be fixed. Mike, it's very simple. It, it, it doesn't take a road scholar to figure this out. You have security. And you the let losing one team, in team time. The losing team gets off the field. The winning team stays on, celebrates. The losing team goes into the locker room. 
You close the door. You got security people there. Then you let the victorious team or the home team go in next. Plain and simple. That's the only way to solve these antiquated states. Why they allow that to even come into play makes no sense to me. Right. None. And I, I know I've actually seen people on social media. Well, you know, when this, this, is, this, this hasn't happened before, but well, you're right. It hasn't. And it, again, it's an embarrassment to Michigan State. They've suspended eight guys. And as Harbaugh said, heck, there might be legal problems for these yes. two guys. Assault charges may be forthcoming. At the same time, um, given the amount of money that's flowing into these schools, it, it, it's a, you're right. That yours fix is super simple, but there's got to be another way as well. And yeah, it's 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 again, it's highly embarrassing to Michigan State, and it really there really is no no buts here. Like, well, yeah, this exactly. is a horrible system, but you know, but no, it's it's Michigan State's embarrassed, but there are ways to fix it. It's it's not that difficult. Uh, we saw the inevitable happen, and that was the firing of Brian Harson. Uh, they get a new athletic. Everybody's poaching teams within their own conference now. So um, they go get the athletic director from Mississippi State to become the athletic director at Auburn. And uh, they get rid of Brian Harson. Now everything I hear is they're going after Lane Kiffin. Um, would Lane Kiffin leave Ole Miss to go to Auburn? I think it also depends on what other schools are out there. Kiffin is not um... – how do I want to put this? He is a really good offensive-minded coach. Right. He is not a high-level recruiter. Um, he he relies heavily on the transfer portal, and that's right. fine. But I, I would argue that if you want to build a program as opposed to a one- or two-season team, you got to do a better job recruiting, and he doesn't right. do a good job recruiting. Um, also, he's supposedly not necessarily enamored of small-town college life. Um, you know, he, he loved his time in L.A. Um, go, <laughs> I've been to both places, and they both have their charm. But if you truly like big town life, why would you go from Oxford to Auburn? Um, right. I, that's, I, I think that's a legit question. No, Auburn has a higher ceiling than, than Ole Miss, unquestionably. So uh, that, that's... I, but again, also Kiffin comes up for every open job there is. You know, yeah. last year Miami. Oh, Kiffin's a good fit. Florida. Oh, Kiffin's a great fit. He's every got a job good that agent. comes up. Oh, Lane Kiffin's a great fit. Um, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up if he does indeed leave uh, or miss. And you're right. I mean, uh, I will say this: John Cohen. I think if you had asked um, 50 people who cover college athletics in September, name the five best ADs in the SEC. I don't think John Cohen's name would have been on any of those I'm lists. I'm with you. I'm so with you. So, obviously, Cohen me. sees a much higher ceiling in Auburn overall because of NIL money. We actually wrote a story this yesterday uh, when the news broke about both those hires that the Auburn NIL situation is enticing for a head coach and enticing for an AD, especially an AD, even, I'm sorry, Sensei, especially, it would have been especially enticing for a group of five AD, but even in the SEC, Auburn's got more NIL potential than Mississippi State. Um, I don't think John Cohen's going to hire Hugh Freeze, but it will be interesting to see who he does indeed go after, because I think the money is there at Auburn. I know they owe Harson a ton of money, and they're paying Cohen relatively well in in, in addition to the new yeah. head coach, and they're also paying Bruce Pearl money. But 
Um, this is going to have. This is a interesting situation because if you live in the southeast and follow college football, you know how dysfunctional the Auburn booster situation is. No doubt. And I will say this, I think you would 100% agree, and I think all your listeners would agree, no matter who they hire, there's going to be a faction of Auburn boosters who are going to be pissed off. Why did you – they could go hire Nick Saban, and you'd have a certain segment of Auburn boosters. Why are we bringing in a guy from Alabama at Auburn? So Never happy. You're right. I think there'll be a lot of – The dysfunction is great, and that's going to make it hard. There's going to be no, no shortage of candidates. But I also think there's going to be, among those candidates, some folks taking a mighty hard look. And if there's job A and job B and Auburn's job B, job, B, job A is going to be a lot easier, so I'm taking job A. I'm with you. Look, I think there's going to be a lot of eyes in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Liberty's coming to Arkansas, and if you freeze, gets another win and gets to, what, 8-1? and one? I think there'll be a little bit of pressure on John Cohen to kind of at least give him a sniff and 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 vet him and see what's going on. You, you was, never know. All you right, know the, look, the whole enough. when Freeze got in trouble at Ole Miss, and I don't mean for the off-field stuff. I mean for the NCA stuff. Right. There was right. all sorts of blowback. Oh, Mississippi State turned him in, and I think there's a lot of bad blood between Cohen and and Freeze. Oh. Um, but you're right. This is the toughest remaining game for Liberty. Um, Liberty's one loss is at Wake Forest by a point yep. when Liberty went for two in the last yep. minute. So yep. this is a good squad. He's, he freezes used three quarterbacks. Um, he's got a really good running back, a kid named Day Day Hunter, who's a transfer from Hawaii. Um, they got a bunch of uh, transfers at wide receiver. Um, they got a transfer at defensive tackle from Stephen F. Austin, who's a stud. Uh, and yeah, for, for the How most he... part, their schedule has not been that difficult. But they pounded BYU. Yes. Uh, in fact, they beat BYU worse than Arkansas did. So That's this right. is an extremely interesting game on Saturday, not only for Liberty and its hopes to finish in the top 25, but also, you're right, Hugh Freeze. Liberty did give him ex- an extension, but that, as we all means know, nothing. Um, contracts are made to be broken. That's what yeah, we're that, for. that means nothing. A lot of eyes in Fayetteville. All right, let's take a quick timeout because we had too many big games uh, on the horizon, and we'll get back with Mike Huguenin from On3.com for all his thoughts on the Tigers and the Tide, the Bulldogs and the Vols, and others as well as we continue here on the Jordy Heltberg Show. We'll be right back. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, we continue with Mike Huguenin. It's a busy, busy, great weekend of college football. On3.com is a great site to go and get all the inside information and so mike if you don't mind let's go and we'll build to a crescendo let's start i think a very interesting game to me texas a&m is at home with all the trials and tribulations and troubles and speculations they're a three and a half point favorite hosting the florida gators could the gators go in there and beat the aggies yeah i think they can um florida's running game um, when it gets cranked up, is extremely powerful, and A and M is is horrible against the run. Um, and the thing is, though, if you're the flip side, A and M's offense it has not been good all season. Florida's defense is horrendous. 
So, it, you know, there's, there's nothing that can cure a bad offense like playing a bad defense. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I think Florida's best chances to win are to effectively run the ball, keep A&M's offense off the field. And, again, that might sound weird, but I think A&M's offense is, can have success against Florida's defense just because Florida's defense is so bad. That, that freshman quarterback looked pretty good for Anna. You can see what Jimbo's doing. He has thrown this year away, yes. and he's trying to show the boosters and everybody important, this is the future, the future is now, and next year we're going to be better. Well, I think he's also trying to show players on this team that we have a good quarterback on the roster. We're going to yeah. play so don't him the rest of the season, get his growing pains out of the way, and we'll be much better off next year. I'm with you. I, this used to be a great game. It's in your neck of the woods. Uh, the Florida State Seminoles are at Miami. Miami's, God, what's happened to them? The Seminoles are eight-and-a-half-point road favorites in this one. Yeah, my, my, Miami's bad. Um, ah. You know, I talked about Florida's defense being bad. Well, so is Miami's. Um, and Miami with a backup quarterback. Uh, Jake Garcia is not very good. Tyler Van Dyke. Um, they're hoping he's healthy on Saturday. He has not been practicing with the team. They're trying to speed up the, the healing process and make sure, you know, don't do any, that nothing weird happens in a practice. But if Van Dyke plays, Miami has a shot. If he doesn't play, they have no chance. But you're right. Okay. There was, I think, a 20, there was a, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's amazing how far this rivalry has wow. fallen. Yep. No one cares. No. anymore except FSU and Miami fans and you know back in the day this was circled on everybody's football watching schedule no matter yeah. where you lived oh I'm watching the Canes and the Knowles man because it's That's got two right. top 10 teams with a ton of future NFL guys no, no one has said that in a long long time Michigan TCU Alabama everybody is hoping against hope that the fighting Irish of Notre Dame can somehow, some way, at home, beat the Clemson Tigers. Dabo and his company are three-and-a-half-point road favorites. Boy, Notre Dame's due for a good game. They're really due for one. And mm, is this the one? Can they do it? Well, they beat North Carolina already. Um, yeah. And that's impressive because North Carolina's offense is better than Clemson's. Uh, yeah. The difference, obviously, is Clemson's defense is uh, it's not even in the same stratosphere as North Carolina's. It's right. tremendous. Tremendously talented, gifted, physical, agile, athletic, fast. That's, that's a really good defense. And I don't think very highly of Notre Dame's offense. Um, I think Notre Dame's defense, though, can keep them in the game because Clemson's offense is absolutely nothing special. And that's the one thing right. I think if, if you look at the other top, if you look at the top 10 teams in the college football playoff rankings, and I'm including LSU, you can look at their offense and say, yeah. And, and some more than others. Yeah, that offense is really high level. I can see them getting to the playoff because of that offense. And then you look at Clemson and you say, that offense, they don't deserve to be in the playoff because of that offense. So if this is a defense first, second, and third team. Um, Clemson's all about defense. Um, I think the game Saturday is going to be low scoring, but I think Clemson wins. But North Carolina, uh, I'm sorry, Notre Dame's defense. I think can do a good job against the Clemson offense. All right, let's get to the let's get to the meat of the matter. Let's start off with um, the 
CBS early afternoon game, Tennessee at Georgia. Georgia is an eight and a half point favorite. So many people have compared this year's Tennessee team to the LSU team of 2019 with all the weapons and the offensive production. If you look at the numbers from Tennessee this year and LSU that year, they are almost mirror images. Is Georgia's defense that good to be an eight-and-a-half-point yeah, favorite? That, that spread to me is, is way too high. And I think if you ask an LSU fan who saw that Tennessee offense in Baton Rouge, you're like, they got weapons everywhere. Uh, yeah. And now Cedric Tillman's back. And yeah. one thing they did last week, they put Tillman and Jalen Hyatt on the same side of the field. And, you know, that, that seems – you know, sometimes fans – have smart ideas. And I think if you're a Tennessee fan earlier this year, you're like, wow, I'd love to see Hyatt and Tillman on the same side of the field. Um, and, you know, and sometimes coaches are too stubborn. No, we got to get, you know, we got to split our guys up. We've got to give Hypo credit. That puts a tremendous amount of stress on one side of a defense. And mm-hmm. as good as Georgia's defense is, um, okay, Keely Ringo can play. He's a stud corner. I'm not sure about the other uh, Georgia cornerbacks. Um, Georgia does not like to blitz. Um, So what's going to happen to, if you give Hendon Hooker time in the pocket, he's going to pick you apart, man. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, Georgia has lost Nolan Smith, who leads the team in sacks and tackles for loss. So I think Tennessee is going to have success on Georgia's defense, even though this will be the best defense Georgia has, uh, the best defense Tennessee has seen. Tennessee scoring. I think the flip side is the same as well. I'm not a believer in the Tennessee secondary at all. I think Brock Bowers is going to go berserk and have a huge mm -hmm. game, and I think Georgia wins something like 38-35, 42-38, something of that nature. Wow. Wow. So it basically comes down – to whether Stetson Bennett can yes. take advantage of Tennessee's big weakness that you mentioned, and that's their pass defense. Yes, they, they have a the, Tennessee can get after you with their pass rush, and they certainly did that against Will Levis last week. Um, and uh, you know, Will Levis, um, a guy who's a projected number one pick, wow. throws for ninety-eight yeah. yards against Tennessee's defense. Bad. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so, but I, te- I think if, Georgia does win a, a very close and very high-scoring game. That's the only way Georgia can get into the college football playoff. If they lose to Tennessee, they're done because their I strength of schedule is, is bad. Yes. God, there is the Oregon game. That's um, it. I and know. that's their only other selling yeah. point for the rest yeah. of the season. If they, they lose to, if they lose to Tennessee, their only selling point is going to be, well, we beat, ten, we beat uh, Oregon in the first game of the season big time. So it's, but I agree with you. I think if they lose, they're out of the running. In the back of their mind, doesn't the SEC want like Georgia to win because they go to the SEC championship game? Tennessee's only going to have one loss. Boy, it's going to be hard to keep them out, right? right? I mean, it's, yeah, there's, there's a all lot kind of, of scenarios for multiple. Yeah, there's SEC a lot of interesting teams. things setting up here, but um, yeah, the SEC, the idea that the SEC could get to, and the Big Ten could get to. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to the one here in Baton Rouge, six o'clock, Tiger Stadium. Alabama, 13-and-a-half-point favorite over LSU. Talk about um, how teams that have beaten Alabama in the past, they've gotten great quarterback play, and LSU has a quarterback that kind of of late fits that bill. Um, What are your early thoughts on this thing? 
Yeah, I think that spread's large. Um, and you're right, Jaden Daniels. I've always been a Jaden Daniels fan, and I, you know, he was extremely inconsistent in Arizona State, especially last year. I'm not sure that's all on him. That's a program in turmoil, and I think it definitely filtered down to the players. Early this season, Daniels looked extremely uneven. Um, you know, you know, why are they playing that guy? Go with go with the young guys. Get ready for next year. Well, Jaden Daniels is talented. Once the offensive line has leveled off and leveled up because they changed some guys around, Jaden Daniels is showing what he can do. He is an extremely dangerous runner. And I think I said on your show a couple weeks ago, when Jaden Daniels runs when LSU wants him to run, that offense is really, really high-powered. When Jaden Daniels runs because he has to, that's when LSU's in trouble. In other words, (laughs) if, if he's forced out of the pocket by a pass rush, and he's running for his life, no quarterback's going to have a ton of success. But when he can run when he wants to, design runs, RPOs, rollout passes where he tucks and runs, that's where LSU can be dangerous. I think LSU's receivers, if you look at what Tennessee's receivers did to Alabama's secondary, no, LSU's offense isn't like Tennessee's, but I think LSU's receivers can have some success. Um, to me, though, it's going to come down. Can, can LSU's running backs provide anything? They Let me have ask to you this, be Mike. effective. They have to be able to run between the tackles occasionally. They have to move the chains. They can't be in third and eights because that's when Alabama right. can tee off and force Jaden Daniels to run. The flip Let side, you've you got to get in Bryce Young's face. I Let think, me ask you I think this, LSU's Mike. defensive linemen and their, uh, their edge rushers can, can make life uncomfortable for Bryce Young. Um, Jameer Gibbs is a problem for everybody. Um, and, you know, I know LSU's secondary has had issues at times this year. Um, you know, Florida had a couple big plays. Tennessee obviously had a couple big plays. Alabama's passing attack, though, isn't nearly as effective as it was last year. Um, I still don't know who Alabama's go-to receiver is. And we're, we're week 10. So I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that LSU can keep this extremely close and maybe even pull the upset. I still think Alabama wins, but, man, I'd be all over that 12.5 points. Let me ask you this. It seems to me, these games, it's always a line of scrimmage game. And what I'm looking at is you got those two freshman offensive tackles. How do they hold up against Will Anderson right. and the other guy on the Alex other side? Turner. And you know Saban's great to, at calling blitzes. Right, and also that goes back to Jaden Daniels has to run so he doesn't get sacked. He's got to be protected. I'm extremely interested in seeing how Dimbrock calls the game, especially yeah. early. Are they going into this game with the idea that no? Our offensive tackles cannot hold up. We're gonna, we know that from the very beginning, so we're going to change some things around. Um, that's, you know, Kelly's, Brian, Brian Kelly ain't no spring chicken here. He's been around. He knows what's right. going on. I mean, he is, he ain't no spring chicken. Right. He's been around. He knows. And I got to think that he and Dem Brock and the rest of the offensive staff have looked at their offensive line and go, okay, it's been playing better of late, but goodness, this is a totally different animal on the other side of the field. Yeah. We have yeah. to do something to protect our tackles. We have to do something to keep Jaden Daniels from running for his life. So that is, I'm extremely interested in seeing what they do early to try mm-hmm. to combat the idea that Alabama's edge guys are going to just flood the backfield. And I've said I would, I would go to Kayshawn Booty and I would tell him, dude, 
This is your money game. Yes, if that's you true. have a big game against Alabama, you're going to get drafted very high and you're going to make enough money to pay for your family for the rest of their lives. Yes, and this is and and all the all the LSU receivers. But again, it's are they going to go max protect? Are they going to chip every right. play? Right. Um, you know, do they call some design runs early for Daniels to to give the idea that it's going to be a fascinating chess match early with with how they with how they do things. It's also going to be a fascinating chess match the other way as well. What does what does House do to try to impact Bryce Young early? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it sounds weird, but um, I'm more scared of him throwing passes to Jameer Gibbs than I am to some of his wide receivers because I think yeah, Gibbs can break it on any play. And man, if if I'm an LSU fan, I'm worried. Big time. How are my linebackers going to be in coverage against Jameer Gibbs? Yep. Harold Perkins, baby. That's the dude. That's, That's another guy who, who's extremely talented and yep. obviously got there with a lot of hype, starting to produce some big numbers. But that's, yeah, there's two interesting aspects of the game for both court and offensive coordinators. Mm-hmm. What do they do um, to combat the other team's pass rush? Because I think I'm LSU looking. can apply pressure to Bryce Young. Alabama's offensive line is not elite. Mike Hugan and On3.com, I'd be remiss. We're both basketball guys. Uh, isn't Kansas so self-righteous for suspending Bill Self and assistant Curtis Townsend for four games, four games. while that NCAA investigation still going on? And they're going to play the lighthouse for the blind. Um, and they'll, you know, they, they can win without a coach. So aren't they so self-serving? Yeah, it's interesting. They gave bill self a contract extension while the NCAA investigation was going on but oh yeah we will suspend him but oh by the way we gave him a contract on a race yeah yeah there you go all right should be a great weekend of college football cannot wait michael huguenin you are the greatest i appreciate it we'll talk to you next week and see how all the leaves settle after this weekend of college football all right thanks man appreciate it thank you Tune in next week to the Jordy Holberg Show for Hump Day with Huguenin. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a state. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I don't forget the Saints are taking on the Baltimore Ravens this Monday night. What you may not know is the game will get you ready for the primetime matchup. Crunch time with my boys Miguez and Mesh. We'll be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnson Street from 4 to 6. So come hang out with the fellas. Enjoy the ice cold beverages and tasty burgers this Monday night. As the Saints take on the Ravens, Twin Peaks eats, drinks, scenic views. Yes, indeed. All right, so we've got the Astros tonight on the game with uh, Astro launch at 6.30, first pitch at 7.03, game four. Pels and the Lakers tonight? Oh, yeah. Boy, it just get, doesn't get much better. Tomorrow we'll have um, um, our NFL picks with the Schwab. We'll go behind enemy lines. We'll talk more about the Troy Trojans as they get ready to invade Lafayette. We'll talk about the Tide as they get ready to invade Baton Rouge. It's going to be a fun, fun week. And the only thing that scares me is the weather does not look good. Come on. Come on, weather guy. Just, just 
clear it out. Let it rain on Sunday. Let's let, let's have a beautiful day Saturday so everybody can tailgate and go have some fun. Uh, today is your birthday, November 2nd. Happy birthday to you and yours. You share yours with happy 31st birthday to Jimmy G. Jimmy Garoppolo. All he's got to do is just manage the game. He's got a great team in the 49ers. They got a chance to get to a Super Bowl. They really do. So happy birthday, Jimmy G. Um, special thanks to our guest. Boy, it was fun talking with Anthony Renato about uh, McCullers tipping his pictures. He said 100% true. Wilson Alexander and, and the rest of the crew. So come on back tomorrow. Until then, I'm Jordy Helpert. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay healthy. Be kind to one another. Let's all be happy. Have a great day, everybody.